to the Construction Big Breakfast, where we give you a hearty serving of insider tips and business strategies to help fuel your day so you can thrive in the construction industry. Now, here's your host, Tip Top Tim Fitch. Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of the Construction Big Breakfast with me, your host, Tip Top Tim Fitch. And this week, we're joined by our very best guest star, Steve Fox. Hi, Steve. Morning, Tim. How are you? I'm very well. Good to see you. Now, regular viewers of this podcast know exactly what the first question is going to be, so I won't disappoint. Steve, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Uh, well, we have a double shift for breakfast, so we have a banana and coffee in bed before I take the dogs out at about half past six, seven o'clock. And then my, my breakfast day goal these days have the same thing. So uh, a bit of homemade granola, some uh, fruit and some yogurt on it and uh, and some plenty of coffee to get me going with some fruit juice. Yeah, very healthy, very healthy. And it's interesting you do a, a double shift on the breakfast um, just to kill the hunger pangs first thing. I had today, for various reasons, I had just uh, toast with Marmite. Mar but I've got into this uh, Turkish uh, yogurt drink, kafir, and I have a glass of that, which is uh, very good for your stomach. So <laughs> even I am afraid to never fry up this morning. You must have abused your stomach last night, Tim. <laughs> well, you know, it's a, it's a long-term, you know, uh, lockdown management of my uh, insides. Anyway, enough, enough of that. So, Steve, you're very welcome. Here, and perhaps just to get going, for those I'm sure that there may only be one or two of our viewers who who aren't aware of you, but just just give us a little brief what what you what you were doing a year or two ago and what you're up to at the moment. Ah, right, yeah. So uh, people say it's retired, although it's not doing nothing, so I'm doing a bit less work. So I've worked for 30, well, 37 years in in contracting, civil engineering contracting. First of which with uh, Edmund Nuttall um, and Bam Nuttall, as everyone knows, since we changed the name in 2008. Uh, the last 10 years of which was a chief exec. Uh, so I stepped down last summer after just over 10 years in charge um, with a view to doing a bit less. Part of the deal with uh, Mrs. Fox was to spend a bit more time together uh, and to have a bit of a lifestyle change. So we've done that. We've moved house, we've relocated. Um, and uh, I'm just trying to find some things that interest me to fill the equivalent of uh, two to three days a week. So a uh, bit of a mixed bag since then, but it's been great. And I have to say, I haven't missed the full-time job for one second, but I missed the people a little bit. Well, that's great. And uh, I mean, of course, as someone who transitioned over to uh, consulting, in fact, it's 10 years ago now, we've been going 10 years just about uh you know it's a different world so i wish you luck in it and uh you should i hope you, you should enjoy it because it's a, it's a different it's obviously very very different from uh, that's great I, I, it's interesting being able to uh have those big changes you know you go from when you run a business where you do the things around the business my my whole year was mapped out you know for me in terms of the schedules of all the meetings doing the reviews and meetings with the parent company and all the management everything you know we should plan the whole year or probably 18 months and a half advance rolling ahead and suddenly now oh i'm deciding what i'm doing so um it's nice to go and do some, have a chance to go and do things that uh, you do because they interest you um so uh, interesting you mentioned the c word so uh, i have gone over the dark side i had to set a little business up 
um, we do bits of construction advisory work uh, under the consultants banner, um, reviews and things, and a bit for some of the uh, some government bodies, and also helping a few little startups. So um, it's really nice because you start to do things for people who um, want you to help them and appreciate it. So it's great. And I'm also, um, uh, I've kept in touch with a few things because uh, I've took on a non-exec post, a medium-sized contractor at Bar Hill. I think that's in the public domain, so people can know that. A little business I've known for a long time. I like uh, I like Dennis and Andy, so it's been nice. And again, it's been nice to be uh, to be welcomed and wanted. And I've, I've retained my roles as well with um, Wise. That's the Wise campaign, Women's in Science, Engineering, Technology. Well, I'm a non-exec there. Um, and I'm going to stay with that a little bit longer yet. And uh, I'm also uh, going to see out my term as a uh, non-exec, a trustee of the uh, Construction and Training Board, CITB. So uh, all things I got involved with are obviously pro bono things that uh, just they interest me. I think they're important parts of uh, our industry. So uh, people have to put a little bit of effort into helping these things. It's a bit of a mixed bag. So it seems to it seems to fill my two to three days a week. Although I'm always home to office, Tim. <laughs> Well, we'll bear you in mind, Steve. Don't worry. I mean, it, it's um, it's it's very interesting listening to you because obviously, although I didn't rise to your heady heights before I left contracting, um, it is very different when you're helping other businesses to um, move forward, solve problems which seem insurmountable. Um, and apply what you've learned in large corporations to startups or much smaller businesses. Um, there was a yeah. lot to give over. I think the, the knack to learn, isn't it? What I'm learning in it is that you know, I remember we said umpteen consultants, particularly influencing the parent company, consultants come and look at things around the business. And they always felt like consultants doing a brief because they're going, you know, and you thought, do you really engage with them? Because I don't even want these people in here around me. And the difference is finding bits of consultancy where you can go to people who actually want the help. And that's, that's what's really nice, is finding people that say, it'd be really nice if you come and give a bit of help. And actually what you find there, it tends to be short bursts of things. You go and help people for the odd day here and there, because you don't want to go and sit around a business for months on end and write huge reports. That's, that's, that's a different thing. But this being able to just go in and help people on an ad hoc basis, um, and you get proper quality time with them, and then they're listening to you, and they're interested in, in the things, the observations you can make around their business, and it's finding those opportunities, and it's actually great, because you go back at the end of it, they really appreciated what you did for them, and that's that's the win-win you need to get out of it, I think that's for me, the, what I'm trying to find. No, I mean, I, I know exactly where you're coming from, and I, I mean, that's great that uh, you, you've had some early success, and I, of course, I mean, you and I go back, in fact, we go back longer than you can remember, but uh, <laughs> I won't bore the listeners with the stories. But the, we, over the years, we, our paths crossed many times, and I, yeah. I know that uh, you've got some really interesting observations on the construction and the particularly contracting sector. Obviously, gained from your thirty-plus years as a leader in that uh, part of the industry. I, you may not have seen it but we, we did a piece of work uh, in conjunction with UCL we ran some uh, workshops and what have you tag in the last year called castles in repair which was mm. really looking back in time at uh, the contracting industry in the UK and how it how it had developed since 19 post-war since 1948 
to where it is more or less now. Now, you know and I know that it's a marginal business now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting. I do know a bit about it, actually, because uh, um, I took part of some of that work with uh, Henry Smith. That's right. Yeah, fashion guy as well. Yeah, and a great artist. You've seen his work. Yeah, he's uh, just retired to become a full-time artist. Yeah. yeah, fabulous. Great stuff. Sent me some of his pictures. I'm really interested. Yeah, so, no, I know about that. I remember talking at length about that and... Uh, Yes, the lack of progress in our industry. <laughs> we like doing what we did, don't we? <laughs> I characterise it, it's still, the way I sort of think about it now, it's still run by highly educated people. And this isn't supposed to be uh, casting aspersions on what I'm about to say on the particular blue-collar profession, but they... The, the industry's thought is, although we've got highly educated, clever people running it, the industry's run as if it was run by carpenters who are worried about getting the next day's delivery of timber to site and putting a gang of men to work. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Um, I could see why you'd observe that. I think, uh, I, I think bits of the industry, there are bits of the industry that do still behave like that. I think there's other bits that are more enlightened and would like to do things differently, um, but they they can't because this is a this is an interesting industry um, where I think it's one of the very few products where the person that um, actually who who delivers the bulk of the product is the last person you engage with, um, and but yet you want a bespoke product from them because everybody always reinvents every wheel for some bizarre reason. Um, and what's more is you get an army of experts to uh, actually tell you what it is you want, how you want it, what it's going to look like, what specifications are going to be built with, um, when it's going to be built, how much it's going to cost. This army of experts tell you all this stuff on, uh, on the meter, taking no risk, um, before you then go and engage with the person you're going to buy it from. It goes, oh, my God. And, and actually that person just says, OK, yes, sir, I'll just, uh, I just do what you told me because that's how we set the industry up. So... I think some of the leadership would like to do it differently, but it's very, very difficult because um, uh, you don't really very often get that opportunity because of, the, because of how we structure what we buy. I can't think of anything else we buy where we buy it in that way. I mean, could you imagine going down to your local um, uh, car showroom and saying, uh, oh, I like this car, but actually what I want is I want... Um, I want the engine out of that from that showroom down the road, out of that BMW. I want the stereo system out of that system over there. I want the wheels from that. I want that. And, uh, and by the way, I only want to pay 30 grand for it. And they go, well, so we can't supply you that. And even if we could, it cost you 200. <laughs> you know, but, but that's what we do with construction. <laughs> so. Now, you, you, well, I think we're, I've got a sense we're going to be agreeing with each other here, Steve. <laughs> we, one of the things my view was that the from that castle in the air, that one of the key things is that construction has completely let go of the sales process, which I, I think is akin to what you've outlined. Yeah, yeah. The sales process is controlled typically by clients advisors, who, as you say, aren't taking any risk. Um, absolutely. And in fact, we've seen in the last, uh, I think it started in like the mid 90s, um, maybe late 90s, but we've seen this, and there's now an army of people out there called uh, procurement advisors, 
So in the past, you know, in, in the in the old days, whether it was right or wrong, I mean, we got, we only ever paid from here down in those days anyway, because it was always client design with a bit of quantities and an ICA fifth form contract. So it always looked the same, but but uh, at least every competition was the same. Then these procurement advisors came along, and what you see is they advise clients on how to buy things. So we suddenly get this plethora of competitions ending up. And of course, so that's what started. Yes, the clients are absolutely always in charge of how they buy it. But now they have this game about how can we buy it differently to the last one, how differently to everybody else with this bunch of advisors on the meter telling them how to run this competition. And of course, the subtext to it, of course, as well, is what's underlying, underpinning it all is about and how can they, um, in their perception, shove risk across the table to go with it. You know, there's this thing going on underneath it about push all the risk to that contractor. They're making loads of money. That's another strange thing, isn't it? This perception that contractors are getting rich. Everyone thinks contractors make loads of money. Well, go and look at the figures. <laughs> years and look at the number that go bust. You know, and yet we still have this perception that the builders getting rich off this, isn't they? It's a very strange wiring we have around this whole place. But absolutely, I mean, we we are not in control of what we sell at all. We have no no control over it whatsoever because the rules are set by somebody who sets the competition. And it's interesting, I mean, I've had customers say to me in the past, I said, well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, and you know, you have some bids you're not serious about. I said, I said, if I pick up the tender documents, I'm serious. No, nobody, it costs far too much to bid a tender to not take it seriously. If I don't want to bid a job, don't pick the documents up. Once you pick it up, I said, and you set the rules. You know, we get, you give us this rule book and we read the rules and we want to win the competition. So we read the rules exactly to the letter and we win the competition. It's your rule book. You've decided how exactly how you're setting it. And so the only bit of our market, I think, uh, and I don't know so much about, I'm a bit, I am a little bit cynical and I look at it from the side. The one bit of the market that could sell differently and doesn't seem to want to are the house builders. Because they're the nearest, aren't they, to, to the apple of this world. I mean, you can walk past the house builder's window and say, oh, I'll pop in and buy a house. Nobody used to walk past my office and say, well, I'm just going to pop into BAM and buy a bridge off them. And, you know, that's so they're the only bit I think that I, I, I feel a little bit, yeah, they could modernise energy a lot more than they do. They could drive a lot more change, but they don't seem bothered because largely they're not really contractors, are they? So. But, yeah, you're right. So house building, I mean, we often come across this people lump it in with construction. But I mean, as you well know, it's a different industry. Really. Yeah. It just happens to do a bit of construction, but it's probably only about a third of the value. Yeah. So falling um, in its side, the construction piece, isn't it? <laughs> it's, the, it's the stone in the shoe, isn't it? If it wasn't yeah. construction, yeah. it would be easier. Yeah. Um, I mean, just to working on that theme, because I, the this whole issue around the fact that construction isn't in control of the sales process and it reacts to someone else, even, not even the clients, usually instructions. It's, they're coming from their advisors. Of course, has led us to where we are and all of the things that the industry gets knocked for. Yeah, absolutely. Safety, lack of or perceived lack of innovation and so on and so forth. Absolutely, this is, is a this is a strange old industry, isn't it? So it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, and we we are stuck with our bad habits. So uh, you know, even when we come up with these ruses that are supposed to be, oh, this is different, isn't it? Like this is this is term design and construct. How many times have we heard that term? And we don't do design and construct. It's quite interesting because actually in the UK, design and construct actually doesn't mean design; it means do the detailing, because we don't get any freedom to the design. When we get a design and construct job, it's about 
you know, you look at it, you get a jetty come along, it's going to be, well, you're going to have, the, you're going to have piles of these centers, it's going to be this wall thick, it's going to be this long, and we can do a bit of detailing around the joints. You look at highways, you know, you can say, we can move the alignment, you know, half a metre or something, and 300 mil horizontally. I mean, you, we don't do design, we do detail and construct. But the other thing is actually, we don't design before we construct. It's really strange. You know, we start building jobs before we before we finish doing all that. Is it? <laughs> and we wonder why we get what we get. We, you know, how many times do you think, oh, we've got the pile loads, we'll start drilling. You know, never mind what's going on top of it. It's bonkers, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I've, I've probably heard me say this before, but I said, you know, would you get in an aeroplane built the same way as you build a construction project? Because <laughs> I absolutely wouldn't. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? I just think, you know, why don't we, particularly in this in this age, you know, with the, with the advent of digital and what we can do, why we don't design everything in its entirety in a digital environment before we even contemplate doing any near project, anywhere near it? And, you know, you could design it in its entirety, you can walk around it virtually. Everybody can see it. This is what it is. And then you can take a step back and say, right, now we've finalised what we're building. Now you can start to think about the components in it, can't you? So I think, well, we can think about the components differently. Instead of doing what we currently do, which is we, we deliver a load of loose components to a project and then try and work out how to put them together, you know, and, the, and in the, <laughs> including mixing sand and stones and cement and water together to pour them into bits of wood. You know, I mean, that's what we do. We were doing that like two or three hundred years ago and longer. Bricks have been laying for what? <laughs> Thousands of years. You know, instead of doing that, actually start saying, well, we could think about components differently and start to make the components differently. And so, so then, of course, you can start saying, well, what can some components and standard components look like? So we can, we can then start to make them in different places. So you can start to make them on some sort of production line. And then, you know, so so what's that production line look like? Well, it looks a lot better than it currently does, isn't it? Because it's a proper environment where it's safe and it's planned and you can train people, you can give them the right environment to work in and it's more attractive to work in. You start to attract different people. So they go out to that muddy old wet building site and you start to turn the construction site into an assembly line. And it's it's just, you know, it just seems so obvious to start to do these things. And the, benefits that have come are so immense but yet we can't get there i always think you know we look at other industries and the journey they've been on against our industry i thought about i mean you look at um i think automotive is quite interesting isn't it you look at you look at an automotive line from just 40 odd years ago i mean go and watch made in dagenham that's a great picture isn't it you know you look at that forward line and how did they make everything then and you look at a picture of a, of a an automotive assembly line today and it's Almost the only similarity is the car comes off the end of it, you know, and you think and and all the components are moved between suppliers multiple times, maybe before they end up on a project. But they're going between fixed places, factories, where everyone knows what they're doing. And then they, they come onto the assembly line in the right sequence. They get put together and the car comes over. And, and what's construction done in that time? Construction still looks like that factory in Dagenham. You know, we, it hasn't changed. We still got all, bring all of those components to the assembly line and stick them together. And it's just, you know, we're starting to see some bits. Here. I know some odd examples of things going on, but our wiring's just not there. And it's and we're really quite anti it, aren't we? It's um, do you know, it's um, it's nine years ago now. There was a bit of film in 2012 um, posted from a, uh, a project in China. I think it was, wasn't it? Yes. It did, what was it 30 stories in 15 days yeah you know and uh, it's brilliant this little time is what they did and and that's how they went about it isn't it and and reaction in the west to that project instead of saying 
wow, we're going to do 40 stories in 10 days, the reaction was to say, oh no, the course is rubbish, this will be wrong, it'll fall down. <laughs> so they say we're going to better it, you know, we just, we just criticise it, said, well, let's, let's, that's a good idea, let's do it even better. It's just nine, I mean, that bit of film is so old now. So, I mean, I'm, well, obviously, this is in, this is likely to be the less challenging conversation perhaps because <laughs> I'm agreeing with you. What I, yeah, the, the industry is where it's at. And I think to move forward, it, it needs to think about how it might regain some control over the sales process, which yeah. I think will take some very creative thought because you've got to come up with something really compelling. Really compelling, because I'm certain taking your point about competitive tendering, public procurement, I'm certain this government buys hundreds of thousands of iPhones a year, which yeah. are at 40% net margin plus, and are happy to pay it, because the product is more secure than the alternatives, and it's desirable and all the rest of it. The yeah, I think, I think we're getting through to them. I mean, the government construction playbook, um, I guess people haven't had a chance to wade their way through it. Actually, it's only 80 pages, it's not too bad. Um, but it is, it's another clear step in the right direction. I mean, look, public procurement is, is a constant excuse or thorn in the side of getting established relationships and buying things differently. And there's no doubt, I mean, if you look back, as much as I bemoan about how we go about things, there's no doubt, I mean, we do have, and we have had more um, programmes of work and frameworks in recent years. And, you know, everybody works on them, all says it was much better. The problem is we then come along with, oh, yeah, but we can't renew it. We've got to go through this competition again. But, you know, there's no doubt all the evidence is that those, um, those arrangements have led to better relationships, more collaboration and better solutions, and ultimately probably more cost effective, better products at the end of the day. I mean, there's still other reasons why we haven't modernised a lot of the process, unfortunately. But you do see it, and, and I think the government is getting that it needs to promote that more. Um, it's, I think the army of advisors, of course, don't get it because it's not it's not in their interest, is it? Yeah. I mean, let's face it, the lawyers get paid every time they write a bespoke contract. The procurement experts get paid every time they do a procurement competition. You know, so they're hardly going to be incentivised to say, let's stop doing all this stuff. You know, because actually they're the people that have driven in introducing it. So, uh, and they're the people in control, which is a bit like turkeys and Christmas, isn't it, in that respect? So, uh, you see more emerging government advice about we should go down programmes of working relationships. I mean, next thing is about they've got a change about all the bloody things they've put in the way about what real innovation and what change in the industry looks like. But at least if you get better working relationships and better trust. And I've yet to be on a framework. You know, we, did, we had quite a lot. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Van Nuttall, I mean, I said in my time, you know, 75, 80 percent of our workloads in some sort of repetitive repeat work where and there's nowhere where people said, you know, they didn't they didn't enjoy. They didn't get a benefit from the way those frameworks worked. Both sides you go see the customers. Everyone thinks it's better. You know, what happens is, unfortunately, at some point you hit some sort of break point. Somebody starts a competition. And you've done your best to be in a place to win it again, but you know there's no guarantees, are there? Because at the end of the day, the old procurement people, and then somebody comes in with a cheap fee, and doesn't matter what it's about the quality, the cheap fee wins the job, and off we all go. And everyone else goes, oh, we so want you to win it, but we've got to go do this, you know. So we've got to get out of that sort of mentality. Of course, that's the other thing that goes on. People have this perception that 
actually well if you're only on a fee uh it shouldn't be uh, fees got to keep going down it keeps on a drive from the sea people bidding on fees that are less than the roadhead cost so how's that work you know at the end of the day it's all got money's got to come in somewhere people think oh we're getting it for less they're not it's just how you wrap it up and get some other way of getting it so so i think it's inching in the right direction um but there's a lot more to do but you're right and, and the next thing we need to be able to do is to work out how in those environments where um, we've removed the sales process, because it's not about we're in charge of it, but we've removed it. What we've really got to do then is work out how we remove all the other obstacles and say, right, now we're going to build a completely different product in a completely different way. And uh, I always aspired, I mean, I never worked, which is interesting, because of course, oh, it's not exactly bar health, so I've always gone to have a look and find out more. But I always wanted to go and find out about what happened to Anglin, because Anglin Water always talked a great story appeared to do something as light years ahead of anybody else. Um, and in fact, that uh, not all, uh, we never bothered even contemplating bidding it because we thought, why would you want to change the supply chain? It obviously works so well. What's the point in even bidding a competition like that? But Dale and, uh, and Chris Newcomb used to talk you know, about what they did. I was very envious because they seemed very enlightened, but I don't know if it's as good as they talked it. Uh, but it certainly felt light years ahead of anything else being done in terms of driving different solutions. You know, And actually, the real thing about saying somebody well, here's my problem, whatever it is, and here's how much I can afford to solve it. I've got two million pounds to solve this problem. If you can't solve for two million, let's not bother solving it. You know, but if you can, what's the best solution for that? And they certainly talked about Dell in examples. They came up with completely different solutions to the one that they started out with because, you know, they got an arrangement where everybody was buying into well, what's the best solution rather than, um, you know, what's best for my design fees. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I'll just go back to the point I made. I'd be interested in your reflections. If, what would it take to regain control of the process without necessarily lobbying uh, government, which is appears to be the solution that's being proffered by the industry at the moment? Yeah. What's your view about, because you've talked about DFMA type things, you know, factory construction of components or just the just in time start stuff as was shown on that famous Chinese video. All of that needs massive investment, mm. doesn't it? Yeah. And I'm not I'm not really sure in my own mind whether the, the skills to actually rustle up the money and then deploy it effectively uh, are there. No, the I agree with that. I mean, the investment's not going to come unless you can see the certainty that you, you are going to win, you are going to be able to sell it, and, and you're going to make enough money to make, make the investment worth it. And of course, the expectation for return on, on investment has gone up so much. You know, of course, we saw, I mean, you know, we talk, when I started in the industry, most contractors had a bit of R&D of their own. Because, you know, what we used to have compared to what we've got today, and people's you know, expectations are whack, it just makes it even harder. So I agree with you, unless you can see a way through it, and uh, it's actually interesting. I was sat on something the other day where a government was talking about, you know, what takes one locks and things. And I said, well, you know, you've got to have certainty. It's like saying, oh, we've got we've created this environment. If people can't see, people aren't going to invest just on, well, we might work out like this. So it's pretty difficult to see a way through it with the environment created. And of course, you know, we're, it's endlessly chasing the cheap fees and things now. It's going to be locked into that. And with such low barriers to entry, and his perception that oh contractors are getting rich, aren't they? I mean that's a bonkers thing going on. So there's, there's that sort of a high level lack of trust is unhelpful as well. 
And of course, you know, the truth is that most contractors don't do a lot these days because they've outsourced everything. So that's another problem. You've got a group, there are a small number of contractors that still employ people and do real work. Um, unfortunately, an awful lot that don't. And uh, they also colour what's going on out there. So I think, and then and then you've got the, the issue with public sector and the perception of or the reality of the rules. Perception is reality at the end of the day anyway, isn't it? But, you know, the rules say we've got to do this, this and this or it's not fair. So, which means we keep going through these endless bloody competitions. We don't form things. I think, I mean, the bit that uh, I mentioned before as well, you know, I think needs to really step up to the mark and lead the change in the industry are the house builders. 25% of the bigger construction industry is house builders. They, they are definitely potentially in charge of their destiny. They could decide to build units completely differently, sell them, you know, they are the one place where you walk past the shop window and go and buy something. And they seem completely disinterested in it because the contracting piece and it's just a thorn in their side and they don't really care, do they? And the quality of their products gone backwards. I mean, I've, I've met a guy the other day who's got a business, goes around, his business is goes around new housing estates at 69 months old, knocking on the door saying, would you like me to come and fix the snags on your house? Uh, because that's about, he said, the sweet point where people have got fed up with nagging the builder. <laughs> I think the beds just pay somebody else to come and do it. <laughs> and people yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's a sad indictment. Um, and of course, in terms of house building, the extra, what's the benefit to doing house building perfectly? Because yes, there'd be less snags, but it doesn't sound like they're necessarily rectifying them. But by how much could you reduce the cost? Now, yeah. because it has a small impact on their return on capital. Yeah, well, I, I don't think they really care what the house costs, do they? I mean, to be honest, whatever the house costs just goes into the goes into the equation. And the price goes up yeah. by twenty grand. It's, really it's a third of the sale value. Yeah. It's a third of the sale value to be. Yeah. So. I, mean, look, I know house builders might disagree with me and say, "I don't know what I'm talking about because I've never built houses." But I just look at it and say, "They don't. They don't care." The house cost half the price to build was twice as good they wouldn't care because they can sell them they can sell them the huge amounts they can potentially make and the money's all in other things steve it's I mean, i'm going to draw it to a close there because we've had an excellent 25 or so minutes of uh, uh a sort of a download of your experience and your thoughts particularly reflecting back on 30 plus years uh, leading construction companies has been really really great uh, there's some pearls of wisdom in there. There's some areas for improvement for the industry and maybe some pointers to the future. So I uh, thank you very much for sparing me and uh, the podcast your time this morning. And to those that you've been watching, uh, thank you very much. Uh, join us next time. There'll be a, another podcast in a week or two's time. And I hope that you subscribe if you've liked it and like. Uh, push the button which uh, will appear. All of that's supposed to be very good and see you next time. Bye. Thanks Tim, lovely to see you. Want to learn more about how Invent can help your business maximize its bottom line? Head on over to www.invent.com and get in touch with our team today. Thanks for joining us this week on the Construction Big Breakfast. Make sure to visit our website www.invent.com where you can subscribe to the Construction Big Breakfast on all platforms so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a positive rating. Or if you'd simply share it with a friend, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.